chapter 1, if you would, Philippians chapter 1. We know today is Independence Day for uh, the United States. It's the 4th of July. And I've decided to start a brand new series today called True Freedom. What is true freedom? I want you to know you don't have to be a U.S. citizen to be truly free. You can actually be in North Korea today and be truly free if we define freedom through the lens of the Scripture. My, really, I think my favorite book is Philippians. And I just really have felt led to take our congregation through Philippians this summer, verse by verse. This is Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, and it's known as the book of joy. And maybe that's why I love it so much. Man, you turn on the television, you don't get much joy. <laughs> you know, you pick up the newspaper, there's not a whole lot of joy there. Uh, we're going to look into Philippians, the book of joy, and we're going to see how we truly have freedom as followers of Jesus Christ. I want to give you just a little background about this book. It was written about 50 A.D., so Jesus was crucified maybe 32, 33 A.D. Fast forward, this book was written 50 A.D. Um, I apologize. It was written in about 62 A.D. 50 A.D. is when Paul actually visited the church in Philippi. Okay, so in 50 A.D., Paul came to Philippi, and he was a missionary, a missionary to Europe. And Philippi was uh, a European city, which was part of what we know as present-day Greece. You can read about that missionary journey in Acts chapter 16. It talks about how Paul goes to Philippi. And there he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus. And again, this is about 50 A.D. And people started believing. They said, oh man, this must be the Messiah. This, this is the one that we've been waiting for. And a little church was established in about 50 A.D. in that part of Greece. And that's the church in Philippi. Now we'll fast forward to 62 A.D., 12 years later, and Paul finds himself sitting in prison. So he's behind bars. He's with a colleague. Colleague's name is Timothy. The Romans have not only oppressed them, but imprisoned him. And from prison, he decides to write a letter to this church that he founded 12 years earlier, these old friends of his. And that's the letter we're going to study for the next six weeks or so. It's just such a great book. And I'm calling it True Freedom because it's so ironic. Paul's writing this letter from prison. He was no more free in the way that some of us define freedom but he was free because he knew what true freedom really was. From every outward measure, Paul was not free. From every outward measure of those believers today in North Korea, in China, they're not free. And Paul wasn't. Think about this. Paul couldn't travel. He wasn't free to visit his friends. Uh, he couldn't even choose what he was going to eat. He just had to eat what they gave him. He wasn't free to work as a tent maker. Uh, he wasn't uh, free to go start new churches, which was his calling. He was a prisoner 
of one of the most powerful regimes in all of history, and that is the Roman Empire. And yet, when we read this letter of Philippians, even though all his freedoms have been stripped away, you start to realize, man, Paul was a man that Jesus had set free. He was truly free. There's a freedom inside of us that nothing on the outside can take away if we truly have been set free by Jesus. And I think it's a message right now that we desperately need to hear. Because honestly, life can feel like a prison. Uh, many of you feel like it, like the prison walls of disease, the prison walls of aging, the prison walls of a, of a rocky marriage, the prison walls of family drama, the prison walls of economic hardship because you've lost your job, the prison walls of being mistreated by other people. And you're in this prison of circumstances. Many of us often feel trapped by life. So what do we do? We begin to pray that our circumstances change, right? That's the natural thing we do. But sometimes, friends, the change isn't out there. Sometimes the change comes in here. And that's really what we're going to learn from Paul. Paul shows us, friends, how our relationship with Christ can create an inner freedom no matter what's going on outside of us. Honestly, there's a lot of things outwardly that we just can't control. But by God's grace, we can control the inner man. I've quoted Viktor Frankl many, many times over the years. Viktor Frankl said, everything can be taken away from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any set of circumstances, to choose one's own attitude. The last freedom, no one can take it away from you. And I think our first clue to finding that kind of freedom that Viktor Frankl experienced, the Corey Ten Boom experienced, that Paul experienced, is by looking into this letter that he wrote to the church in Philippi. Look with me, beginning with chapter number one, verse number one, of how Paul begins his letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers, and all of the deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you with the affection of Jesus. 
And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. First 11 verses, I want you to notice the very first verse, how Paul identifies himself. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. Think about that for a moment. In most of Paul's letters, when he introduces himself, he calls himself an apostle of Christ, which he was, which means a person who was officially sent by God carrying the authority. It was kind of an impressive title. But he doesn't mention that here. He's imprisoned, and he calls himself a servant. Now, when you think of the word servant, you generally, at least I don't, associate that with freedom. A servant is doing what somebody else is asking that person to do whether it's wash floors, whether it's mow a lawn, whether it's cook a meal, you don't associate the word servant with freedom. It almost sounds the opposite of freedom. Slaves or servants aren't free. And yet that's the word that Paul uses when he introduces himself, which can seem kind of strange. And you have to ask yourself, man, did Paul learn something about servanthood that opened a door to maybe a deeper kind of freedom? See, there's a lot of people, friends, that aren't in prison, but they're not free. Maybe Paul found a deeper freedom saying, I don't care. They can take all my national rights away. They can imprison me, but there's a deeper freedom. I'm not here as an apostle. I'm here as a servant, which is about as close to the mind of Jesus that any of us can obtain. There's a, a French monk, he's a Catholic monk, his name is Jacques Philippe. He's a charismatic, tongue-talking Catholic monk. He wrote a book called Interior Freedom, which is a classic. And in that book, Jacques Philippe says it well. Listen, for modern man to be free often means throwing off all constraint and all authority. For Christianity, on the other hand, freedom can only be found by submitting to God. I know that's a countercultural idea. Paul calls himself a servant. Yet he was free. And I'm discovering we can have that same freedom. And I want to explore that over the next five or six weeks in, in a couple different ways. Today we're going to talk about that we're free to encourage people. Doesn't matter what your circumstance is, you are free to be used to the Lord to build somebody up, to encourage somebody else. We see it in Paul's life, he's imprisoned. Not, not really good circumstance, but he uses it 
to reach back 12 years and remember this little group of Christians and encourage them. But before we dive into that, let me tell you one more thing that happened to Paul when he was there in Philippi. I remember that was 12 years earlier. And he was actually there with another ministry leader by the name of Silas. And the two of them were arrested for disturbing the peace. And they were stripped and they were flogged and they were beaten and they were thrown into jail and their feet were fastened in stocks. And you can read this story in Acts 16. I love this story because Paul and Silas, about midnight, the Bible says, began to worship the Lord, began to sing hymns to the Lord, and other prisoners were listening to them. Think about that. Their rights had been violated. Their bodies were in pain. Their future was uncertain. All their outward freedoms had been stripped away. How did they respond? Paul and Silas, they had this little impromptu worship service. And they begin to sing, how great are you, God? God, you're so good. You're with us. You're merciful. You're graceful. Our freedom does not depend upon our government. Our freedom does not depend upon our circumstance. Our freedom was obtained by you on the cross. And he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Man, what do you think those other prisoners were thinking? They're probably thinking, man, these are nutcases. Really? They're insane. Of course, I think some of the prisoners probably thought, man, I wish I had that kind of attitude. <laughs> I want the kind of freedom they're singing about. I want that kind of freedom that someone can be full of joy and praise and gratitude, even when everything outside is a mess. The freedom to encourage. See, normally when we feel trapped by life, what do we do? We turn inward. We all do, you know, poor me, little pity party. We feel sorry for ourselves, and frankly, you know, you feel like someone else should be encouraging you. Well, I'm going through a hard time. How come I haven't had more calls from my friends? How come more people haven't written me notes? But what would it look like to reverse that? When we're going through a hard time, when we're in prison, instead of looking inward, we look outward like Paul did. And recall somebody who touched our lives a decade ago and say, you know, I think I'll write them a little note. Isn't that really what happened here? Paul begins this and he shows us some things about encouraging others, how we are free to encourage no matter what outward circumstance you might be going through. He hadn't been with them 12 years. But in all those years, Paul had not forgot those people, and those people had not forgotten him. We know from other passages of scriptures that multiple times the church in, in Philippi would raise money and would send him um, money or, or food, clothing. Now, when he became a Roman prisoner, there was a real stigma to that. And so some of those that he had nurtured in the faith abandoned him. Because people generally don't want to be associated with a prisoner, particularly in this day and age with the thing with Roman government. But even then, the church in Philippi did not abandon him, and they continued to encourage him. So as soon as he's done here with his opening greeting, what's the first thing he says to them? He says, 
I thank my God, verse 3, every time I remember you. And then he says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership. That's a word, joy, that we will see many, many times over the course of this series. That's why the book is called the book of joy. I pray with joy. Man, those are powerful words. Those are encouraging words. To say, man, every time you come to my mind, I'm filled with joy and, and thankfulness. Think about the people God has put into your life, your friends, your siblings, your spouse, your children. Maybe if you're a teacher, think about your students or all of us who have been a student, think about our teachers. If you're a coach, think about your players. If you're a business owner, think for a minute about, you know, your, your staff. There's a reason God has placed those people into your life. And the first thing that comes to your mind should be that of joy too. I've noticed that pattern about myself when I'm praying for people. I find myself generally asking God to do something for them that I want done. You know what I'm saying? When I pray for Dennis, I generally pray that God will heal him of, of leukemia. Or if there's someone who has lost their job, I, I pray that God will help them find a new job. Or if I know someone's wrestling with addiction, I pray for deliverance. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Paul's saying there's even a deeper freedom. There's a deeper way to pray. In my prayers, I pray with joy. We need to look, or we need to, to learn how to look, to find signs of God's grace in people's lives, even in difficult times. And when we begin to pray like that, it changes our heart because our posture changes from wanting something from God to thanking God for something he's already given us. Yesterday morning as I prayed for Dennis and Janice, I, I, I made a note to say... <laughs> God, thank you that Dennis is feeling strong enough. He's been in church for two weeks now. Thank you for his attitude. That no matter what comes, he's secure in your arms. Thank you for the example he is for so many of us in our congregation. Thank you for the people he's touching via his stupid jokes on Facebook. You know, I mean, you know, start thanking the Lord for those things. And then, with joy, I said, and Lord... Will you do a miracle? Will you heal him of that leukemia? But I made that secondary because I see some grace even in the difficult time that the hindrance are going through right now. And I learned that really as I studied how Paul responded to his difficult time. Paul teaches us to take that gratitude. Don't just... Ask God to do things for people. Find those areas of grace that you can thank God. I mean, Paul was a powerful encourager, and he expressed his gratitude really well. He wrote it in letters. If he were here today, I think he would be a master at, you know, texting people or sending short emails, or I really think he would. Even if your life, friends, even if your life feels like you are in prison, because of your circumstance, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to touch you so you can be like Paul 
And you can be free to encourage other people. Encouragement is thankful. Thankful. The second thing I notice here, it's affectionate. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. He says, is it right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains or defending the gospel? All of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus. Now, generally when we think of Paul, we don't think of a real, you know, lovey-dovey kind of guy. I mean, think of Paul before his conversion to Saul. And then think even after he was converted, Paul was a very strong personality. You know, he maybe didn't have a lot of tact in some ways. You might think him as kind of a cold kind of guy, maybe a a theological uh, intellect. Or maybe you think of Paul as a workaholic, traveling around the world, starting churches, and he didn't have much of a heart. But I want you to know he did have a heart. There's another side to Paul, and we see it right here. This is first century Roman Empire. That meant the tougher you were, the more respect you got. You think we have a problem with, you know, machoism in America. It's nothing compared to the Roman Empire. People prize toughness, stoicism. Men were supposed to be self-sufficient, not show any kind of emotion. And what does Paul say? He said, you know... Oh, I've got this special place in my heart for you. I love you guys. He showed affection. He didn't think that was compromising his manhood. Paul was emotionally whole enough to realize that friendships deserve some heart, some affection. Friendships deserve affection. Paul says, I long for you with the affection of Christ. Now, that word affection, if you look it up in a lexicon, it means actually the inner parts or the gut. From my inner parts. It's the same word that Jesus used when he looked out on the people and it says that he was moved with compassion. Affection. He cared about him. And Paul's love for these people wasn't because of the offerings he had received. No. It's because his heart really ached to see them again. And I know for some people, expressing affection comes real naturally. And for others, it doesn't. And maybe it'll be shown in different ways. But we have the freedom to encourage people. And we do that, first of all, through thankfulness. But second of all, through affection. I read a little magazine article about a guy, his name is Dr. Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb is a theologian, has written several books, and I I have some in my library. He's a professor. He's a Christian counselor. He's a brilliant guy. And from what I have read, he is not an affectionate guy at all. He's pretty serious, all business. Uh, But in this magazine article, he was telling this story 
about a college that he had taught at, and it was the very end of the spring semester, and he was getting ready to pack things up for the summer. And one of his students came and knocked on his door and said, Dr. Crabb? And he said, yes. And the student said, I, I just want to stop by and tell you how much you influenced my life. This semester was tremendous, and you, you played a role in what God did in my life. And Dr. Crabb was feeling pretty good about himself, that compliment. And so he said, well, what influenced you the most? Was it the principles of counseling class that you were in? Or was it the human behavior class? And he was thinking about all these things that he had taught. And this young person said, no, Dr. Crabb, it was earlier this semester, I was sitting on the campus lawn with some friends. You came you stopped, you sat down, and you chatted with us. And she said, that was so encouraging to me, I'll never forget it. And when she left his office, he shook his head. And he said, I put so much effort into studying, into crafting these wonderful lesson plans, to teaching these great theological truths, and how easily I forget what really impacts and encourages people most is giving them my time and my attention. I'm sure there's difficult times in your past and you remember who was there. You don't remember what they said, you don't remember what they did, but you remember that they walked through that difficult time with you. That's giving attention, giving affection, giving encouragement, showing people that you care about them. Third thing, let's look at verses 9, 10, and 11 again, and then we'll wrap this morning up. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight that you'll be able to discern what is best and pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise. The third point, first is thankful, second is affection, third is be optimistic. Paul was optimistic here. He had no idea what the future really held, but he knew that God was going to be with them and that they could trust God. This is a powerful portion of scripture because it is optimistic. It's future focused. I read a sign just yesterday that said, don't look back because that's not the way you're headed. I thought, man, that's true. Don't look back. That's not the way you're headed. Be, opti be future focused. Paul's saying here, here's the vision I have for your life. Here's the vision I have for your church that you're going to be a radically loving person. And I'm not talking about mushy, emotional, you know. I, it says right here, guided by knowledge and the depth of insight. What you might think of street smart wise. I'm praying you're going to be faithful to your spouses, honest in your businesses. I'm praying big things for your future. That's optimism. And I know that can be challenging when people ask you to pray for them because we generally, again, pray surface things. 
yeah, pray for that surgery coming up or pray for rehab or someone finds a job. But you know, people can be healed of cancer and their heart can still be far from God. So what's the most important thing is some of those eternal issues. People can find a new job and still be impatient and angry. And I think Paul understood that. This week I was praying for a lady and I wrote my prayer down. And I said, Lord, I pray that Brenda's radiation treatments will be totally effective. You'll make her body strong and healthy. And that you would use this experience to deepen her faith. So I want the radiation that Brenda is going to be receiving to be effective. But more than that, I want to be like Paul and I want to look in the future and say, I want this experience to do something spiritually. Something that will touch her heart, that will help her in the future. You can pray for someone to find a job, but also pray that God will use the period of time between now and the time they do find a job to teach that person trust, to teach that person patience. See, don't let any experience in your life or don't let any other people's experience that they're going through be wasted. God can use them. Those are the kind of things that I see Paul was praying for, for the Philippians. And there's no reason we can't do the same thing. And again, I just want to say it's important that we just don't pray things for them. We need to pray that God will use their experience, that they might be more like him. And I'm not meaning shining them on or anything. That's not what I'm talking about here. But sometimes you just need to encourage people to find Jesus in the middle of their grief. Find Jesus in the middle of their poverty. Find Jesus in the middle of their difficulty. And tell them that. I'm just praying that this experience will end quickly, but I'm also praying that you'll become the person that God wants you to be in this experience. See, Paul's optimism here has little to do with those he's praying for. It has everything to do with God. His eyes are upon God. He's reminding people that God is a God of goodness, a God who wants to bless us, a God who wants to work in us, a God that has promised that no matter what we face, he'll make it all work together for good and to conform us into his image. I'd guess that God has put people into my life and into your life right now who are disillusioned, who are depressed, who feel they're alone. And the difference maker for that person could be you. I want you to know you are free to encourage. No matter what you are going through, you are free to encourage. Your outward circumstances do not have to control you inwardly. You can be like Paul. Even if you are imprisoned, you can be a powerful encourager. And you do that by being thankful, by being affectionate, and being optimistic. 
Romans 15, 2 says, each of us should please our neighbor for their good and to build them up. First Thessalonians 5, 11 says, encourage one another and build each other up. And then a scripture in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, that comes all the way circle back to our opening comments this morning about celebrating freedom. First Thessalonians 5.11 says this, encourage one another and build each other up. I'm sorry, uh, says, for you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We are free today to serve each other. We are free to encourage. And that's what the Bible calls us to do, to be thankful, to be affectionate, to be optimistic. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for an opportunity we have to look into your word and realize that freedom has very little to do with our outward circumstances. Freedom really has to do with an inward transformation that you have made in the way we perceive life. The way that we even navigate through difficult times. The way that we respond when our prayers aren't answered. We're free to grumble and complain and argue. Or we're free with the help of the Holy Spirit to trust you, knowing that you do all things well. And God, as we look through the book of Philippians this summer, I pray that your Holy Spirit will open those verses up to us in a new, fresh way. And today I pray, as we celebrate the freedom we have in this country, we'll also celebrate the freedom that Paul had and displayed by example to encourage other people. And I ask God that you put in each of our minds in the closing moments of this service a person that we need to reach out to this week to be thankful for, to be affectionate with, and to be optimistic. Whether we make a phone call or write a letter or send a text or an email or knock on somebody's door just to say, hey, I want you to know I appreciate you. I pray that every one of us will be encouragers this week, no matter what our outward circumstances are. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you that we can be representatives of you and we can learn from the Apostle Paul that there's true freedom beyond what the government says or our circumstances dictate. There's that freedom to choose to be like Jesus. And Jesus, we want to be encouragers and build each other up this week. In your name we pray. Let's sing this chorus.